Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us. And Father, we are deeply humbled to be able to to be here in your presence, Father, knowing that you're hearing our prayers. Father, knowing that you care about us. Father, knowing that you sent your son to this earth so that we could stand justified before you. And thank you, Father, for that atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the words that have been passed down over the centuries so that we can hear you speak to us through those words. And Father, we especially thank you for the words of Jesus, for the teachings that have been recorded, for the stories, the parables that he told. And Father, help us to be people who not only hear his words, but people who do them, live them out in our lives. Father, we pray this through his name, Jesus, who we acknowledge is the Christ. Amen. Well, I hope you came here this morning kind of excited and in anticipation of of hearing our Lord and Master Jesus Christ tell us another kingdom story. We'll spend our time today in Luke chapter 18. So you might want to go ahead and turn there now. We'll be in Luke chapter 18. We're nearing the end of this series, and I hope you've had an experience similar to mine as we have gone through these parables. I have found it very refreshing And I found it very convicting to spend these summer months just focusing on Jesus and just focusing on his words. Just placing myself as a student at Jesus' feet, at the feet of my teacher, at the feet of my master, at the feet of my rabbi. And just soaking in his wisdom and soaking in his truth. And as someone who tries to teach and someone who tries to preach... It's really been eye-opening for me and humbling to me to see how much power Jesus is able to pack into short little stories. Short stories about his kingdom, about God's kingdom. It's been humbling to see just how effective and how relevant these stories remain 2,000 years after Jesus first told them. And one thing that we've seen that Jesus is repeatedly able to do, he's able to tell stories in a way, he's able to tell these parables in a way where everybody in the audience feels like Jesus is speaking directly to them, speaking directly to their situation. But today's story isn't really like that. As Luke tells us, Jesus directs this story to a very specific group of people. Luke says it this way in Luke 18.9. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. This parable is directed to a specific group of people. To a specific group of people who were without a doubt represented very heavily and very strongly in Jesus' audience. This story is directed to the confidently righteous people the confidently righteous people who look down on everybody else. And because Jesus' target audience is so specific with this story, we need to be very cautious about how we approach this parable. It's easy to approach this parable and react with a hearty amen. You know, amen, Jesus. You know, those self-righteous people, they really bug me too. They really irritate me too, so amen. Or we can listen to this parable with a sense of relief. A sense of relief that goes something like this. You know, 
thank God Jesus isn't talking to me today. Thank God Jesus isn't pointing his finger at me this time. He's not pointing his finger at me. I know he's not because I'm not self-righteous like that. I don't pray like that. So today I can just sit back and relax because this story is not directed to me. But I want to tell all of us here today, let's not get too comfortable just yet. Because I think we all need to be very careful about assuming that Jesus isn't talking to us and Jesus isn't talking about us in this kingdom story. So let's listen to Jesus' story. Verse 10 He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We need to stop right there. We need to stop there for some context and some background. This is one of those stories where our 21st century American experiences haven't prepared us at all to understand what's going on here. Jesus' first century Jewish audience knew exactly the scene that Jesus was setting up, but we don't. We need some help. This story, as we can tell, takes place in Jerusalem. It takes place in the holy city. It also takes place at the temple, God's dwelling place, the center of Jewish religious and cultural identity. But we also need to understand that these men haven't just independently and coincidentally decided to go up to the temple at the same time to offer prayers at this holy site. That's not what's going on. Both men have made their way to the temple at the same time for the same reason. They're at the temple to witness and to experience an atonement sacrifice. There was an atonement sacrifice that was offered at the temple twice a day. First it was offered in the morning, and then it was also offered in the afternoon. It was a twice-daily time of public worship, and also a time of private prayer. So to use our language in the 21st century, both of these men were there at the temple because they were going to church. And they wouldn't have been the only ones there. They would have been part of a crowd. Again, to use our language, they were part of a congregation who had gathered there at the temple. They'd gathered outside the temple at the great altar to witness a priest ceremonially sacrifice an unblemished lamb. And then to watch him sprinkle the blood of that lamb over the altar. And all of this was done to atone for, to make amends for, to pay for the sins of all of Israel. It wasn't a ceremony to atone for individual sins, but to atone for the sins of the entire Jewish nation, the entire Jewish community. And the priest, after he had made this sacrifice and after he had sprinkled the blood on the altar, he would leave The altar, and he would go inside the the sanctuary of the temple, just the outer sanctuary of the temple, and there he would offer incense to God. And while he's doing that, that's the point in the service. After watching the sacrifice, after watching the lamb's blood spread on the altar, in fact, with the, the dead lamb and the blood in their sights, it's now. It's now that the worshipers, it's now that the individuals in the congregation, It's now that they have the opportunity to offer their personal prayers to God. 
And both of the characters in this story, both of the men in this story, take advantage of that opportunity. And first up is the Pharisee. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you I'm not like other men. I'm not like robbers or the evildoers or the adulterers. I'm not even like this tax collector. No, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. We also need some background and we also need some context about this part of the story, about this prayer. In fact, we need some background and context about prayer and also about fasting and also about tithing. So first, let's talk about prayer. See, among pious Jews of this time, it was generally accepted that there were three and only three legitimate types of prayer. Just three legitimate types of prayer. The first legitimate type of prayer were prayers that confessed one's sins to God. So you could pray and confess your sins to God. The second legitimate type of prayer were prayers that thanked God. But thanked God for specific things. Thanked God for blessings that you had received in your life. And the third legitimate type of prayer were prayers of petition. Prayers that ask God to intervene on your behalf or ask God to intervene on the behalf of other people. So let's listen to the Pharisees' prayer again and let's see which category or which categories this prayer fits in. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Well, category number one doesn't really fit this prayer, does it? He's not confessing his sins. He's not confessing his sins at all. In fact, maybe he's confessing other people's sins, but that doesn't count. He's not confessing sin. So it's not a legitimate prayer according to that category. Well, how about the second category? Well, this one seems more promising. He says, God, I thank you. So maybe he's thanking God for his blessings. But you know, he's really not thanking God for any blessings. He's not thanking God for anything that God has done. No, everything is I. Everything is about me. Nothing's about God. He says, I'm not like others. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. So number two doesn't really work. So how about category number three? Well, here the Pharisee kind of bombs out on this one as well. He doesn't ask God to intervene on his behalf, and really, why should he ask God to intervene on his behalf? He doesn't need God to intervene, because apparently he has everything figured out, and he has everything under control. And he certainly doesn't ask God to intervene on the behalf of anybody else. He doesn't ask for God to help all those who apparently don't have anything figured out. And apparently don't have anything under control. Now the Pharisee doesn't confess his sins. The Pharisee doesn't really thank God for the gifts that he has received. And he doesn't ask God to make anything happen for himself or for anybody else. He doesn't request help. You see, this really isn't a prayer at all. 
The Pharisee has taken this opportunity that's been given to him to pray. What he does instead is he delivers a self-righteous sermon that's just disguised as a prayer. And the foundation of this sermon is self. It's all about him. It's all about his high standards and how others don't measure up to his standards. And it's all about his impressive, righteous acts and how his actions are superior to the actions of others. It's all about him. And make no mistake, his standards are high. And his religious acts are very impressive. You know, he was very quick to inform us. He was very quick to inform God that he fasts twice a week. Think about that for a second. He fasts twice a week. To put that in context, the law only required one day of fasting a year. And that was on the annual day of atonement. But the Pharisees as a group weren't satisfied with one day a year of fasting. No, they chose to fast two days before and two days after each of the three major feasts. So if we do the math, they didn't fast just one day a year. They fasted 12 days a year. But this Pharisee was different even than the rest of the Pharisees. He wasn't satisfied with fasting 12 days a year. No, instead, he has chosen to fast two days every week, not 12 days a year, but 104 days a year. Impressive. And he doesn't stop there. He also informs us and he also informs God that he gives or tithes a tenth of everything that comes into his possession. He gives that to the temple. Well, to put that into context, the law only commanded tithing a percentage of your grain and a percentage of your oil and a percentage of your wine. Now, as you might expect, the Pharisees weren't satisfied with that either. They weren't satisfied with those simple requirements. They had a broad general rule that you should tithe 10% of everything that you use for food and everything that you keep watch over and everything that's grown out of the soil. But also shouldn't surprise you that they also had pages and pages of exceptions that were trying to make that general rule somewhat easier to fulfill. But this Pharisee, he wasn't satisfied with any exceptions. No, he's chosen to give 10% of everything that he has come to own, 10% to the temple. He does have high personal standards. And there's nothing wrong with having high personal standards. There's nothing wrong with having high personal standards unless you preach a sermon that's disguised as a prayer that condemns others because they fall short of your high standards. And he does engage in very impressive righteous acts. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with engaging in impressive righteous acts. There's nothing wrong with engaging in impressive righteous acts unless you preach a sermon that's disguised as a prayer that justifies yourself. That justify yourself by comparing your impressive acts to those less impressive acts of other people. And this is especially problematic when one of those other people that you're comparing yourself to is a fellow worshiper. 
It's that tax collector who's standing over in the corner. He's a fellow worshiper who also takes an opportunity to pray. But this worshiper doesn't preach. This worshiper just prays. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What a contrast between the two men. Instead of arrogance, there's humility. Instead of self-righteous preaching, there's a deeply emotional prayer. See, the tax collector is deeply anguished about the state that he is in. He's deeply anguished. Because he's deeply anguished, he confesses his sin. And he begs God for help. See, unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector knows he cannot justify himself. In fact, the tax collector agrees with the Pharisee. He knows his standards aren't high enough. He knows that his righteous acts aren't impressive enough. And he knows that his standards can't ever be high enough. And he knows that his righteous acts can't ever be impressive enough. Can't be high enough and they can't be impressive enough to overcome the fact that he stands before his God as a sinner. And it's that realization, the realization that he stands before God as a sinner, the realization that he can't justify himself, that's what turns the tax collector So it turns the tax collector to God. It turns him to the only one who can justify him. It turns him to God for mercy. And it causes him to ask God to make atonement for him. He's standing there in sight of the altar. He's standing there in sight of the lamb. He's standing there in sight of the blood that's been spread on the altar. And he asks God to deal with his sin. And at this point in the story, I have to believe that Jesus, like all good storytellers, I have to believe that he paused for just a few seconds as he left the tax collector there in front of the altar, begging God to give him help. I have to believe he paused for just a few moments, paused in the story to let that this hang in the air for just a few seconds. Hang in the air waiting for a conclusion. Pause to let people form questions in their minds. Questions like, what's going to happen to this Pharisee and his high standards and his impressive righteous acts? Let questions form like, what's going to happen to this tax collector? This tax collector can't even begin to justify his actions. See, we need to remember that Jesus told this story to the confidently righteous. He told it to those who looked down on everybody else. He told it to the people who, if they were being really honest, he told it to people who identified with and who were sympathetic to the Pharisee. So imagine their surprise when Jesus ended his story this way. Verse 14. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, 
this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself, everyone who lifts himself up, they will be humbled. And he who humbles himself, he will be exalted. He will be lifted up. And I can just hear the rumbling. I can just hear the muttering going on, can't you? I can imagine things like, so you're trying to tell me that even fasting 104 times a year isn't enough to be justified before God? And Jesus is saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I can hear the rumbling along the lines of, so you're trying to tell me that giving 10% of everything you own to the temple isn't enough to be justified before God? And Jesus is saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I can hear the rumbling. So you're trying to tell me that a tax collector, this traitor, this extortionist, you're telling me that he can actually be justified before God? And Jesus is saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. You see, Jesus once more turns everything completely upside down. He turns everything upside down because he's a different king and this is a different kingdom. This is an upside down kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom where those who lift themselves up before the king are humbled before the king. It's an upside down kingdom where those who humble themselves before the king are then lifted up by the king. It's an upside-down kingdom, an upside-down kingdom where a self-confident, self-satisfied, and self-righteous Pharisee finds that even by fasting 104 times a year, even by giving 10% of everything he owns, he can't be justified. He can't be justified by himself because it's a different kingdom that serves a different king. It's an upside-down kingdom, an upside-down kingdom where even a humble tax collector, even a humble tax collector is able to receive what he knows he doesn't deserve. He's able to receive his king's acceptance. He's able to receive his king's righteousness. He's able to receive his king's exaltation. It's an upside-down kingdom where everybody who exalts themselves will be humbled, and where everybody who humbles themselves will be exalted. And we here in the 21st century, we must thank our God, thank our God for his upside-down kingdom. We must thank our God that he has mercy on sinners. Thank our God that he has mercy on us. We must thank our God that he has made the true atoning sacrifice for us. And he doesn't do it twice daily at the temple. He did it once, and he did it for all, and he did it at the cross. To paraphrase Peter's words from 1 Peter 1.18, we must thank God that he redeemed us from our empty ways of life with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish 
and without defect. Thank God that through the blood of the Lamb, he has declared his humble servants to be righteous. And may we all, may we all stand before God with our heads bowed and say, thank God for having mercy on us, a group of sinners. And finally, may we all learn a lesson from the Pharisee. See, let us not be people who thank God that we aren't like the tax collector or thank God that we aren't like any other kind of sinner. See, instead, our prayer must be to God. Our prayer must be to God to make us like the tax collector. Make us like the tax collector, humble. Make us contrite. And make us repentant before our king. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly. And God, we thank you that you did make the true atoning sacrifice for us with Jesus Christ at the cross. And Father, we thank you for filling the void for us because we know, Father, that our standards aren't high enough. We know that our righteous acts aren't great enough to ever justify ourselves before you. So, Father, we thank you for justifying us with the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb without blemish. And, Father, I close this prayer by saying, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen. Let me end by saying, to God be the glory of for what he has done through Jesus Christ to justify us as sinners. Let's stand. Let's sing.